Welcome to episode 171 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and on this occasion, for the first time ever in the history of the podcast, there is nobody joining me. It is just me. I'm not generally a fan of solo podcasts. This isn't something we're going to look to do very regularly, but just with the combination of the holidays, Jordan Tresky's continued internet woes, as you can probably hear my own voice, not quite feeling the best. And then the back-to-back for the books, scheduling, all of those things, didn't really work out to allow someone else to come in. So what we're going to do for this particular episode, not to deny any of you of a podcast episode, considering we were off for Christmas Day, I'm going to take some mailbag questions. Basically, we'll talk through some of the key talking points, and there were plenty, from Thursday night's 102-96 win over the Minnesota Timberwolves, and then I will take your questions. Firstly, I'm, n- I'm not sure where to begin on that game. Maybe some of the strangest rotation decisions we've seen from Jason Kidd. Boos raining around the Bradley Center, books down by as many as 20 points, having previously lost to the Bulls and the Hornets. Everything looked really, really bad. And hey, guess what? Good players on the floor together and the Bucks' talent was able to win out down the stretch. We did see a very obvious, and we heard post-game, return of the trap-heavy, blitzing defensive scheme that has caused the Bucks so many problems over recent years that we thought maybe he'd started to waver and move away from. Well, in this game, he was benching guys early on for an up-blitzing. So, for anyone who had hoped that, you know, we weren't going to have to watch the Bucks being overly aggressive defensively, giving up open trees over and over. I'm sorry to say that's probably going to continue. Uh, there was some of that in the first quarter. Carlton Towns, Andrew Wiggins had wide open trees that they obliged in knocking down. And really, as the Bucks turned around the game to to win, what was quite in quite impressive fashion considering just how bad it had looked earlier in the game, I think you can you can only say that they benefited from the Timberwolves obvious tiredness. Minnesota had played a back-to-back. They were on the second night of a back-to-back. They played an overtime game and a win against the Nuggets the night before. So, considering the minutes totals that the Timberwolves and Tom Thibodeau are famous for racking up to begin with, they weren't remotely fresh and they crumbled down the stretch. With that, Jeff Teague was out injured for the game. Tyus Jones dislocated his finger and missed a pretty significant stretch laid on. So, even with the books blitzing, being really, really aggressive defensively, the Timberwolves literally didn't have a point guard to move the ball around it to find the open shooters. And it all kind of came together in a perfect storm for the Bucks to allow them to pull out the win. Biggest talking point of the game was undoubtedly 
Malcolm Brogdon not coming in until the second quarter. There were other strange rotation wrinkles, uh, including Giannis being substituted just two minutes into the third quarter. And after the game, Jason Kidd explained them as kind of a lot of, you know, a lot of teaching moments. A lot of things he was seeing that he didn't like when players were making mistakes. He was pulling them straight out of the game on this occasion. That really led the Bucks to fall into a pretty big hole that if it wasn't against a team in the second half of back-to-back, I'd be very doubtful they would have come back out of. But the Brogdon incident was by far the most interesting because not only did Brogdon then come in and change the game when he finally was allowed to play, but there was, of course, also that clip that the cameras caught coming out of a timeout when Giannis Antetokounmpo turned to him asked, why aren't you playing? And Brogdon shrugged his shoulders with one of the most bemused looks I've seen from a book this season, and the books always rank pretty highly in terms of bemused looks per season. So, for those who want to read into, well, what's the dynamic like, what are things, kind of, how are the players feeling about Jason Kidd, about some of the more erratic rotations and wrinkles that he adds into their game plan, I think there was there was plenty to read into there. Moving on from that, but guaranteed to talk a whole lot more about it, let's get on to your mailbag questions. The first one from at Suckamint. This was obviously sent while the game was ongoing. Suckamint asked, why isn't Brogdon playing? This is an excellent question. And although Jason Kidd explained after the game the reasons for some of his other moves throughout the course of the 48 minutes, such as quick substitutions in the first quarter for John Henson, Tony Snell, Eric Bledsoe a couple of minutes after them, Giannis in the third quarter, the one move that he never really explained was Malcolm Brogdon. It was put to him, and I can't remember exactly who it was, but one of the beat reporters, most likely one of Eric Neymar, Matt Velasquez, asked, well, why, why when you made those early changes, why two minutes in when you take Tony Snell and John Henson out, why didn't Malcolm Brogdon come in instead of Sterling Brown? And to that, Jason Kidd responded that Sterling Brown was the first person he saw, so he went in the game. And while many of those kind of comments have been said very sarcastically, very condescendingly recent, that one was said in a very genuine way. So whatever kind of... I guess Kid was very intent on seeing his team blitz on Thursday night. He was in such a fit of rage that he just put in the first person he saw. So, you know, if you get tickets to a Bucks game, sit right behind the Bucks bench. Who knows? It might be your lucky night. You might find yourself on the floor very soon. The next one from Justin's Super Book. How low should my expectations be for this season? This is, of course, referring to Jason Kidd's comment earlier in the week about the Bucks being a young team who are playing with expectations that are, in his opinion, a little on the high side. I wrote about this at length on Thursday. It's complete nonsense. It's, it's nothing other than self-preservation. Um, I don't think expectations are, unreal, or are unrealistically high from Bucks fans. I think, actually, people are being very moderate and considered considering they have a legitimate MVP caliber player on the roster. Expectation should be that this team has to win a playoff series. They should be top four in the East, but even if somehow they don't manage to pull that off through the regular season, they have to win a playoff series. They could have done it last year. This year, they have Eric Bledsoe. Giannis has reached new heights. Knock on wood, we hope Chris Middleton will remain healthy for the whole season. Jabari Parker will come back. There, there isn't a reason why this team shouldn't be able to go on and beat another Eastern Conference team over seven games. Outside of that, I think the season's a failure. I, I, I don't know where there's room for interpretation on that. 
I, I think it's just kind of kid trying to readjust after a loss to the Hornets, after a loss to the Bulls. And the most interesting thing about it is he, he mentioned, you know, to a young team, this is going to happen after the loss to the Bulls. He then came out after the win over the Timberwolves and hailed it as a sign of the team's maturity. So, I mean, the fact that the team went from losing games to the Bulls because they're young to their maturity carrying them across the line against the Timberwolves in the space of two days is truly remarkable. Those of you who've listened to our podcast for quite a long time will know that, maybe unreasonably so, it's what Jason Kidd says that annoys me more pretty often than what he actually does. And I'm, I'm reaching a point where, you know, maybe it's just time to actually zone out a lot of what's being said because it's kind of, everyone can see that, you know, this is, this is a good team. He said, we're not a super team, like everyone's writing about. I don't think anyone was calling the book a super team. They're not the Warriors. They're not the Rockets. They have really, really good players. They have more than enough talent to be a really good team in the East. And I don't think there's anything unreasonable in that. I know that in the piece I wrote, when you look at players kind of performing at Giannis' level historically, in terms of PER, you're talking 13 guys who've played over 50 games in a season and have registered a PER that would be on par with where Giannis is at right now. And only two of them failed to win a first-round series, if I'm remembering correctly. It was Will Chamberlain, I think, in the 1963-64 season. Anthony Davis in, it was a 2014-15, maybe it was 2015-16. Whenever the season when the Pelicans got swept in the first round to the Warriors. And other than that, you're looking conference semifinals. You're looking, the majority of the time, getting to the conference finals, at least. So... Losing to the Chicago Bulls twice in two weeks isn't a cause for lowering expectations. That was just a complete nonsense. So I, I think on the whole, Bucks fans saw Trula. I think the boos in the Bradley Center on Thursday were really, really striking. Just that's not something Bucks fans do, which is to be commended in a lot of ways. But, you know, they're not stupid. All of us, we're, we all watch this team night to night. We see every little detail as the season goes on. Everyone has their eyes open, and it's very irritating when you're treated as if, you know, what you're seeing isn't the case. Really, what I'm telling you is, um, there are some uncomfortable parallels we could draw to plenty of other things, but I'd just say, you know, quotes like that, just take them with more than a pinch of salt at this point. Jason Kidd has some of his own motivations, I would think, at this point. He's having a tough spell in a season that is vitally important for his long-term future. So... I can't say I don't understand why he's saying the things he's saying, but I would imagine that long ago he would have stopped to think some of them through a little bit more and just realise how ridiculous some of it sounds. From at Applander, do you think this team has quit on this coaching stuff? I believe it was like a week ago on the podcast, a little bit more maybe, whenever I think it was Ty and I recorded the last episode. We kind of touched on this and, and I noted that I don't... I felt like that was a long way down the line. I, I couldn't imagine this group of players, considering a lot of them have really only known Jason Kidd as an NBA head coach, turning on him in that way. And then the first two and a half quarters against the Timberwolves happened. It's very interesting. I mean, that, was a, that looked like a team who had quit. Uh, it's definitely going to be something to keep track of as they go through a really tough spell the schedule in the coming weeks you know they are going to be tested on is the resolve there to stick to plans that clearly aren't working and i think that's what that's what we saw on thursday and even in you know 
two minutes into a game where they've been told to blitz and they don't blitz. That's kind of interesting in its own right. Is that is that purely accidental? Was that a lapse mentally? Or was that just kind of, you know, maybe that's not the best approach here. That's pure speculation. But I think that dynamic is something that's going to be watched much closer than it has been. Particularly after that clip of Brogdon and his reaction. And very importantly, and let's not forget, uh, Brogdon was asked post-game about whether he knew that he wasn't going to be coming in till. I don't know, around the 20-minute mark of the game, and he told Eric name, nah, we had no clue. As a professional, it's your job to be ready when you get in, and that's what I had to do tonight. And to Brogdon's credit, I mean, he was more than professional when he came into the game, but the thing that that immediately drew to mind for me was the move that in many ways might have ruined Michael Carter-Williams' career when he was benched completely out of the blue by Kidd a couple of years ago, gave a really fascinating interview to Charles Gardner, then of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, where he revealed, you know, no one said anything to me. It was just, I arrived in practice, and all of a sudden I wasn't practicing with the starters. No one ever explained it. Here I am on the bench. I've just got to make the most of it. And that did incredible damage to Michael Carter-Williams' confidence. And whatever you might think of him as a player, I'm not sure in many ways he recovered from that whole incident. Uh, Luckily, Brogdon is, one, I think a much better player. That goes without saying both rookies of the year, but I think one will have a much more productive career in the long term. And also, I think Brogdon is mentally stronger. I think you can see he has a resolve, and he really came out with, like, a screw-you attitude. It was, okay, well, you're not you're not going to play me the first 20 minutes. You're not going to tell me why. Well, I'm going to go out there and make sure that you can't sit me again. And that is very literally what almost happened as he played something like... I don't know, 13 or 14 minutes to close the game or something to that effect. So I wouldn't expect to see that happen again, but the lack of communication in that even is a little bit troubling as a continuing trend, a longer-term trend in kids' man management. From at Burlick 54 who's better at trying to get fired, Phil Jackson or Jason Kidd? Depends on what era of Phil Jackson we're talking about here. I, I think President of Basketball Operations, New York Knicks Phil Jackson was pretty good at trying to get fired. Uh, Head coach Phil Jackson, well, you know, he won some championships, which kind of buys you some time regardless of anything else. So, you know, if Jason Kidd could win some championships, I think he'd have some time on his hands, no matter what else he could kind of bring in on an occasional basis. If it's, who's better trying to get fired? President of basketball operations, Phil Jackson? That guy probably has the edge on most people. But it has been a strange few days for Jason Kidd. From at Nihilist underscore books. Will we ever know the mysteries of the wheel? Shout out to the wheel. Uh, this is something that has become startlingly true to life with Jason Kidd's sarcastic comments about Sean Kilpatrick not getting any minutes against the Bulls due to him not winning the lottery on that particular night. But this is a joke that our own Jordan Tresky has been making on this podcast for the better part of a few years. Every time a starting lineup change would come in, Jordan Tresky would bring up the wheel. You know, they must have broke out the wheel tonight. Will we ever know the mysteries of the wheel? The answer to that is only if and when Jason Kidd is fired. And even after that, there's been some time to kind of, you know, detach everything. Maybe it's after a lot of these players have finished playing. When they talk openly about, you know, what the team was like during the spell. What it was like playing under Jason Kidd. And many of the various idiosyncrasies that we can all see from the outside he clearly has as a basketball coach. From at Clayson John, 
how close is Jabari Parker? They're not actually going to wait until February, are they? Yeah, they absolutely will. Um, I, I wouldn't just be shocked. I'd be very, very angry if they don't wait till February. How close is he? I'm. I mean, I'm sure he is technically healthy enough to go and play right now. He's been playing five and five in practice with the books. Was assigned to the Wisconsin herd where he did the same. That isn't necessarily identical to though you're ready to go out and play on an NBA court in that kind of high intensity atmosphere and environment confidence is going to be a major major part of this recovery it is with any injury it's even more so when someone has had a recurring injury for Jabari there is no need to rush this and rushing it may just cost him his entire career so from the book's perspective that's not within their interest it's certainly not within Jabari's interest so yeah I think they will wait until February and even at that point I would hope and I do expect that he will spend some time in Oshkosh with the herd beforehand maybe that's just a game maybe that's two games but I, I think that would be a sensible way to ease him back in if it's even just 10 15 minutes to g league level a couple of games of that and then bring him to the nba the books just have to be so careful with this all signs point to a really successful rehab for jabari this time around they've got to make sure they don't do something silly due to impatience at the last moment from at econiption does it really even matter anymore circumstances for example, opponent playing second game back-to-back, and this team's top-end talent will keep the books afloat long enough for Kidd to keep his job. This might They might get to the second round of the playoffs. If not, it really doesn't matter. Rinse, repeat. Yeah, it, it matters a lot, is my, my response to that. It's, it matters a lot because the longer he's there, the more some of these stranger processes may become ingrained in the team and harder to shake down the line. So I would be inclined to say, yes, this does matter a lot. Their talent is good enough for them to reach the second round, even with Jason Kidd. So it's it's even more of a kind of damning indictment of his coaching if they can't achieve that. I mean, right now, they're no luck to make the playoffs. I think we have a question on this later on. But there's a real chance that, you know, one bad run, an injury at a fortunate time, just kind of getting down their confidence or getting into a rut, this team could find themselves out of the playoffs. They're only like a game ahead of the New York Knicks for the ninth spot. That shouldn't be a conversation point with this group. Doesn't matter, yes. And even if they do win a series, the end of the year and you're heading into a new arena and you're heading into the final year of Eric Bledsoe's deal and you'll have had to make some sort of decision on Jabari Parker, Chris Middleton's free agency will be closer, Yanis will be a year into his, his current deal. I mean, even winning the series, the ownership have to assess and make really important decisions of, okay, well, uh, what kind of jump are we ready to make next year? And if it's not the kind of jump that they should be making, kid has to go. So that's even if the season does play out well from here. And that's kind of irrespective of it being Jason Kidd. Any team in this situation, that's the reality of it. This is professional sport, the very highest level. It's a cutthroat business. And the book's goals are much loftier than just kind of, oh, we want to fill the building, get some people in. I mean, this isn't... This isn't your Herb Cole books. This is an ownership group who are very, very determined to win. Whatever your opinion is on how they've approached that in a lot of different ways, that's a different question. But, I mean, they they want to win. I don't, I don't think that could be mistaken. And their investment hasn't been put in to be a middle-of-the-road NBA team long-term. Remember all those reports that came out about profitability of NBA franchises only, let's say, three, four months ago? Um, Zach Lowe was definitely involved in some of them coming out of ESPN. 
the books are one of the franchises that weren't profitable and haven't been profitable for over two years. So this isn't just kind of, this isn't a cash cow for them. The amount of money they're continuing to pour in to infrastructure, they're looking to build something that long run will be really profitable. And their best chance of doing that is by building a winning organization. So it all matters. It matters for the players right now. It matters for the overall infrastructure of the organization going forward. From at Brendan Sweeney. Was Kidd playing Terry slash Sterling their minutes before Brogdon a mask on terrible fifth starter to use up minutes and then never played him? Uh, I guess it's kind of based on the kid comment about GP2, about Delhi, even when he came back on a minutes restriction of kind of this idea of getting a player's minutes out of the way early on, which, I mean, I don't know if any other coach who approaches the game this way, and I certainly haven't come across it. I don't, I don't know what that was, really. I mean, Jack came in with three minutes ago in the first quarter, which is Malcolm Brogdon's slot. So, I mean, Jason Kidd didn't admit it and isn't going to ever, but there was a more, there was a more obvious reason for Brogdon not being there. That wasn't just something coincidentally that happened. He didn't actually forget Malcolm Brogdon like he forgot to take GP2 out to start the second half recently. Sterling, I mean, Sterling Brown has played well recently. Didn't didn't have a great game in those seven minutes, and not necessarily his own fault. Is if you put a a rookie and a second round pick out there in a lineup that's like Ton, Delhi, Yanis, Middleton, and him, that's a pretty weird group that have likely never stepped on the floor together in a game situation before. So that not working out isn't all on him, but the question is really just, I mean, <laughs> Brogdon not coming in. There is no logical explanation for it. So I'd, I'd feel like I was cheating to kind of say, oh, well, yeah, you know, maybe that was the reason behind it, because even that just doesn't make any sense. So I, I think there was something more concrete, something more firm in Jason Kidd's own mind, but it's not something we're ever going to hear. From a Brendan Sweeney again, is the players turning on Kidd the only way management makes changes mid-season? The Brogdon-Yanis exchange was not good, or it was good for the Fire Kid group, Brendan notes. Um... I think that's the the fastest way, for sure. But I also think the fans turning, and not just the fans on Twitter, and the fans on Twitter have long, long turned, which is a significant section of the book community, and I'd imagine a pretty hardcore grouping as well, which is important. In the building, though, in the Bradley Center, things going poorly and booze coming out. I mean... That really matters because not just does that matter if you're an owner and you're sitting there and you're going, wow, the people who are paying, the people who keep our business afloat are coming into the building. They're not enjoying what they're seeing to the point that they're booing. That threatens kind of damage on future earnings, the chance of those people coming back again or more regularly giving money to the Milwaukee books. It also though would get in the head of the players. Like, do you want Giannis to have to spend too long listening to booze? kind of raining down around the Bradley Center when he's having an MVP-level season? I would think not. Players turning would make it happen very, very quickly, but I think the fans turning in arena in a very kind of obvious way would would be a pretty big deal too. And context of that obviously is important. Like, it's not a, it's not about the fans just deciding, okay, we don't want kid. Next home game, we're going to make a really, really significant protest. Everyone's going to boo throughout the game, and that will do it. It won't do it. It's kind of the circumstances. The circumstances were right on Thursday in the first half of that game. The books were awful. They looked out of ideas. They looked like they'd quit on their coach. 
and it's in those sort of games when they're laying an egg, you know, that's when it can happen. It didn't really happen against the Bulls, and it probably should have. So, I, I can't blame people who are paying money when they see something like they saw in the first half on Thursday, going and booing. I think that ju- has just as much of an impact as the players turning, but they are the only two things. Players and fans turning in very kind of public, noticeable ways that will accelerate the process mid-season. From at Clayson John again, with a fuller rotation, is Sterling Brown's lack of minutes going to basically negate his 2017-18 season? Not at all. I mean, considering consistency in the rotation is tough to come by, Sterling Brown is having a pretty consistent run at the moment of at least getting on the court. I think that will benefit him. I'd hope as the season goes on, he gets a bigger role and, you know, come playoffs, maybe he's able to play some playoff minutes on the wings off the bench. Uh, DJ Wilson's the guy I'd be more worried about with that. I mean, he clearly needs a lot of work to get to the level they need to. He was always going to be a raw prospect. I mean, Sterling Brown was a senior, very much fit the Malcolm Brogdon mold. I, I'd be more concerned, though, that if Wilson doesn't get game reps, he could have difficulty with that. The fact that he's only played, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, twice for the herd is surprising in that regard to me. So I don't know about Sterling Brown. If he's getting four or five minutes a night every night, and I think it will become more and is starting to come more, but if he was guaranteed that every night, well, then he's at least getting real experience. DJ Wilson isn't getting that. From at Econiption again. If the players are still playing hard, does that still necessarily mean they haven't quit on their coach? It's an interesting question. I think... There are elements where you could say, yeah, it does mean they haven't. And then, for example, Malcolm Brogdon's situation on Thursday night. It's entirely possible that Malcolm Brogdon will never look at Jason Kidd in the same way again. Not saying that's the case. Again, pure speculation. But is that possible? Sure. At the same time, he was professional enough and obviously determined enough and cared enough about his teammates and himself that he went out there, played really, really well and allowed his basketball to do the talking. So, yeah, you could have examples where guys are playing, kind of, going out to spite Kid, playing in spite of him, winning in spite of him, which, as a unit, is what the Bucks did on Thursday night. I feel if it gets to a stage where the whole roster has given up, though, it would be very, very apparent. It really felt close in the first half on Thursday, but hey, they came out, second half, maybe the Timberwolves helped them with that. Again, their exhaustion... Three games of four nights, second game of back-to-back after playing overtime. Everything was kind of perfectly set up for a comeback, and the books took advantage. And, you know, maybe that's just kind of a key moment in steadying the ship, keeping things on an even keel for a little while longer just yet. But as I mentioned earlier, really tough games coming up. Um, I believe January 10th when they play the Orlando Magic is the next time they play a team currently outside the playoffs in either conference. And then even after that game, they played the Golden State Warriors. So they're looking at a spell of games where they could they could lose a lot of games if they're not in the right place, if they're not playing at their best. And in that situation, well then, kind of all bets are off. From Ad Emphachites, do you think Kidd has anything to do with the comeback in the fourth, particularly on defense? It's a very good question. It's something I kind of wrestled with in writing the post-game grades piece on Behind the Book Pass on Friday morning. He does, in terms of he put the right guys out on the floor. You know, he played Brockton. He limited minutes for, I mean, limited. He didn't even play Jed or Sterling Brown, I'm pretty sure, in the second half. 
Delhi played very few minutes. He put his best players on the floor and allowed them to guide his team to victory. I mean, that is him helping the team to win, but then how much credit should we be giving a coach for playing his best players when it really matters? It's kind of his job. I, I don't know, that's a tough one to balance. In regard to the defense, no, I really struggle to give him credit because the defense worked, I think, again in part because of the Timberwolves' exhaustion, but it was the same defense that has been exposed over and over and over again. Resorting back to it isn't kind of this great display of strength or smarts. It's, you know, it's it's a concerning trend. And the defense didn't change throughout the game. I think that's important to note too. It's more that Minnesota's offense and what they were capable of doing tailed off. Kid was benching guys for not blitzing two minutes in. So, I mean, maybe the one way you could say it changes is that they fully committed to the blitz. They were found out on multiple possessions. The more tired Minnesota got, though, the easier it was for just the fresher legs of the books to allow them to stifle Minnesota. And the Timberwolves just kind of ended up settling for a lot of mid-range jumpers. Better players out there. Healthy point guard. Tyus Jones healthier for a longer stretch of the game. Jeff Teague not being injured. You know, they just move the ball around and they make those trees or they get those layups and the books lose by 25 or 30 still. And it's one of the most disastrous nights of kids' time with the books. I think it's that simple. So defensively, I, I really would struggle to give him credit. I, I think where he deserves credit is the right players are on the floor. But, I mean, that's kind of even framed with the context of they were not on the floor up until that point and that was his fault he corrected a mistake but it was a mistake that nobody other than Jason Kidd would have thought to make in the first place in that game so you know it's a really tough one from at Econiption if Brogdon is shrugging on the sideline after Yanis asks him why he isn't playing can we say that the players have no idea what Kidd is doing and no idea what he's doing is maybe a pretty inflammatory way to word it but I don't believe he lets them in on every inner detail of his thought process and Brogdon revealed that and saying that he didn't know he was going to sit for quite as long as he did. So I would say there are various elements of what Kid does that are a mystery to his players for sure and I'm not particularly convinced on how positive that is. From at real underscore MR Hagedorn, Adam could you give a brief synopsis on how you became a books fan? Did you stumble upon them like I did one of your local football teams? I'll take this chance to name drop Drahdy United. And thought, these guys seem cool. Funnily enough, Alex, Drahdy United are my local football team. Um, so that, that they really are. They're very, very close to where I live. That is quite a coincidence. Uh, those who've listened to the podcast from kind of day one and even not quite as early as that will have heard this story before. Um, me classifying myself as a books fan is something I've had great difficulty with over the years. Um, I don't know if I really classify myself as a fan of any team at present. I think the only way I'd know that for sure is if someday I was no longer writing, podcasting, covering the NBA in any regard, who then would I most want to watch? Who then would I be drawn to? Who then would I feel the greatest affinity for? The answer is almost certainly the books now, but I was, maybe still am, I don't know, we'll find out someday, an Atlanta Hawks fan. Um, they were a team that I just randomly caught a game on TV oh, seven years ago now, maybe a little bit more, where it was Josh Smith and his athleticism that really stood out to me as a wing who could do it all, which I guess is kind of interesting considering how that kind of player has evolved to the point where we now have someone like Giannis. And from there, I was a Hawks fan. 
And what brought me to the books was after a couple of years of writing about the NBA, writing about multiple teams, always the Hawks, but also I covered the Pistons, I covered the Kings, I covered the Nets. I decided, you know what, I want to try my own thing. I want to try and edit a site, help to bring in a team of writers, look to build something more from the ground up. As a writer, a fan side, I looked at what the options were. One of those options happened to be the books, and because Zaza Pachulia was a book, and he held a very special place in my heart through his time as an Atlanta Hawk, I chose the books. Rest is history. Um, in the time since, I've grown incredibly fond of not just the team, but their history. I mean, I never expected to probably know as much as I do about any NBA franchise's history, never mind the books. And that's kind of spilled over into just kind of general knowledge of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Obviously getting to know so many great fans of the team and so many great people from around that area. So, yeah, it's a kind of very strange but deep affinity I've developed with the books. And, you know, maybe in a kind of organic way, because I, I didn't just come to it kind of going, oh, well, this is my team. I came to it kind of going, okay, well, this is something I'm going to cover somewhat objectively. And over time, they've kind of drawn me in more and more. So that's that's effectively my story of how I got to this point and I guess my current relationship with the books. That's come back to me in a few years when I'm not doing any of this any longer. And I could tell you who I am a fan of. I think at this point it probably is the books, but that's still a complicated question. From at Brosif underscore Morin, is Jason Kidd gambling on books games? Does this explain his decisions? Looking for some sort of answer here. Uh, I'm going to say no, because I think that might be the sort of thing that legally would potentially open ourselves up to some sort of problems if I was to say yes. I, I don't know how to explain so many of his decisions, though. So, I mean, your guess is as good as mine as to what the logic or the cause of some of these Jason Kidd decisions are. And yet we're into four years of it, and it's it's kind of... It's amazing that he still finds ways to surprise us with the things he does, but he really does. Um, Thursday was not something that I expected to see a books rotation play out that way, see so many of the decisions that happened in that game. And yeah, Jason Kidd finds a way to kind of blindside you and do that. And you know what? Even having seen that on Thursday, he could come back on Friday and surprise us all in a completely different way again. That's just the Jason Kidd experience. And you know what? I think that is kind of the books experience too, to be honest. From up Brandon Sweeney again. Do you think management knows the level of Jason Kidd frustration among the fan base? I know he was booed during introductions. So Do you think that affects your decision-making process? Second half of the question is tough to know. I mean, I'd wager a guess that yes, it does. It's just a matter of at what level it has to get to for it to force a decision rather than just affecting the decision-making process. First part of the question, do management know the levels of Jason Kidd frustration with the fan base? I can guarantee you, I know for a fact the answer is yes. I think anyone who is on Twitter, anyone who sees the one visible executive who very graciously feels those tweets on Twitter will know that, yeah, I think the books organization have an idea that there's a large percentage of the fan base really, really unhappy with everything Jason Kidd does. So they're definitely aware of it. It's just kind of at what level or at what point it reaches kind of breaking point that they're forced to act. That's the real question. From at Mypo Sports, what are the odds the books miss the playoffs entirely? 5 to 10%? Nine places surprisingly close. Yeah, I kind of alluded to this earlier. Um, I checked this after the Timberwolves game. 538 have the books at a 25% chance to miss the playoffs. That's quite a lot. <laughs> you know, one in four times playing out this scenario, the books will miss the playoffs. That is mind-blowing, considering the, the players they have. And it's not just Giannis. 
it's also having Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, Jabari coming back, even guys like Tony Snell, John Henson, it's just not acceptable. So that is the kind of precarious position the books are currently in. Lastly, from at David on 21, this question came in exactly two years to the date from when he asked, more disappointing, book season or Force Awakens? And this question is, more disappointing, book season or The Last Jedi? Uh, the book season is in progress, so I can't comment on this definitively. You know, this isn't necessarily the platform to talk about The Last Jedi. I have good things to say, I have bad things to say. If the book season continues to pan out the way it has recently turned, the answer will definitely be the book season, though. But, you know, another time, another place, I'll probably talk about Last Jedi. My uh, pop culture podcast with former Behind the Book Pass writer Andrew Snyder will be making a return, hopefully in the next week or so, and we'll probably talk some Last Jedi there for David on 21 and the very few other people who eagerly await the return of that podcast. In the meantime, for talking books for this episode of 6, that is it for now. Uh, I hope this kind of filled any urge all of you had for an episode of Winning 6. It's far from ideal doing this solo podcast. As is clearly evident from my voice, this isn't exactly the the ideal kind of scenario for me at the moment, but hey, I've soldiered on. Hopefully you all enjoy that. With a little bit of luck, the books will give a much better performance on Friday against Oklahoma City Thunder. All going to plan. We'll be back with a normal podcast episode on Monday, although at this moment I will say that probably is voice permitting for me. We'll see how all of that plays out. Regardless, we will be back with you pretty soon, and the hope is that all normal service will be resumed on Winning 6 podcast in the very early stages of 2018. In the meantime, make sure you have a really happy new year. Enjoy the celebrations. Hopefully better things are in store for the books. And we hope to continue going from strength to strength as a podcast and as a website behind the book past throughout the year. Thanks so much for all your support. And we look forward to talking through it all with you again next year. For now, thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, Favourites and TuneIn Radio. You can also follow the Win 6 Podcast on Twitter at Winning 6 Podcast. And check out all of our team's writing at BehindTheBookPass.com. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon.